we would be honored if you would join us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Tonight is kind of a special episode. You know, at the beginning of the year, Alton, Daniel, and I were talking to each other about the kinds of things we wanted to do with the show. And one of the things that we talked about was having shorter solo episodes where we can just talk about something that matters to us as an individual, in addition to all the cool conversations that we have as a trio. And this week, honestly, has been kind of crazy and hectic for everybody. And I, Krebs, get to be the lucky guy who gets to have his first solo episode with all of you. You guys are so awesome, and we love you so much. It's been so great being on the show. One of the things... Oh, wait, 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 wait. I wouldn't be doing this justice if I didn't try to have like some like really cool Daniel intro. Hang on. <clears throat> Hello and welcome, all you dungeon crawlers, to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where tonight we will dive into the grid. That's right. We're going to take a red pill and we're going to exit the matrix, take a look at it, and then dive back in with new knowledge and enlightenment for each of us on any given day is the one when we play our favorite video games. There, that's my best stab at a Daniel intro. Um, all right. So, you know, one of the things I love talking about, I love talking about video games. I love talking about the industry. I love talking about trends. I love talking about new things that are coming, things that have been in the past. It's it's one of those things where like I, you know, growing up, I was never super duper into sports. I'm only recently uh, a, a baseball convert. I've never really been into those things. Or I've enjoyed cars, but I'm not a gearhead. You know, I, I can talk about video games though, the way that most men can talk about sports and cars. It's my area of passion. And I, I hesitate to say the word expertise because I know that there's a lot that I don't know. But there's also a bunch that I've witnessed. In fact, because of my age, I grew up at sort of the dawn of the home console video game entertainment system explosion. I started off with an Atari. In fact, if I remember correctly, it was a 2600, I think. We had an Atari. In fact, actually, we had a few Ataris. Those of you who are old enough to have had an Atari, you realize that they were almost like the disposable razor of home game consoles. If you didn't take care of it well, then you'd end up having to replace it. And you could probably find some at garage sales, etc., etc., right? I had the Atari 2600. I had a Commodore 64 after that, that my older brother brought into the family and introduced us to. To be honest with you, I was so young that he basically showed me the the really general commands for like load quotes asterisk comma eight comma one you know then you have to hit what what was it it was like uh yeah comma eight comma one and then it was run start and all that stuff anyway commodore 64 was super cool but i barely knew how to use it i just knew i liked playing the games and i also was at the time when i could go to an arcade and I could cash in a dollar and get four quarters and put one quarter into a machine and play it for a significant period of time for my age, mind you. One of my favorite things to do would be to go up to my grandfather and say, hey, grandpa, can I have some quarters? And he'd have some in his pocket or in his drawer of his desk or in the coin 
pouch of his, uh, that's not the right term, the coin tray of his pickup truck, and he'd give me a few quarters and send me on my way. That is what my little childhood was like. And of course, as time went on, I ended up with the, you know, the NES, the Sega Genesis, the Super Nintendo, we just went through the generations. And now I'm a grown man with a really good paying job and I can get whatever video games I want. And there's sort of an irony in that, which we'll talk about, I guess, a little bit later. But but the, the reason I'm laying this out for you is because I've had the fortune of living through the video game gener- like generations, plural, right? The video game timeline. The What I didn't get a chance to live through was when the Pong dedicated consoles, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but when video games first entered the scene, it was because of Pong. Yeah. Yeah, Pong was a big deal when it hit the scene. And in fact, there was a video game console with two detachable paddles. Detachable in that you could take them off of the chassis. They were still wired in. They were still plugged in. But each paddle had a rotating wheel. Because as some of you who have seen Pong or might know, it's a game of basically ping pong from an overhead view where the ball moves left to right and you have this little paddle that you're scrolling top to bottom. It was an incredibly popular game in the arcades and then it became a home console machine. And it was it was effectively the first video ga- in-house, like in-home video game console. And it was literally one game. It was Pong and that was in 1972. Atari would come out a handful of years later um, actually, almost a decade later. But the point is, that was how video games started in homes. And that was before I was born, but only by a handful of years. So that was what I missed in the home console evolution. But I picked up pretty early in the process. And so I've got I, I've had this chance to see video games evolve over time. I've, I've had this opportunity to watch games go from you know, eight, well, actually monochrome to eight colors to 16 colors to tens of thousands of colors. You know, you go to eight bit colors, 16 bit colors, and we get into the millions and millions. And then we talk about three dimensional games, which had triangles and then polygons. And we still use triangles and polygons, mostly triangles in making what we have now. But now we have characters that are hundreds of millions of these triangles, right? Hundreds of millions of polygons to make these incredibly detailed, in some cases, photorealistic characters and scenes. I've had a chance to watch it all happen. And some of you have too. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Well, if you've listened to the show in the past, you've probably noticed I am a bit of a PlayStation fan. I I would dare say I'm a fanboy, but that has some negative connotations to it as well. For example... Uh, If I am a PlayStation fanboy, the automatic assumption is that I hate Xbox and or Nintendo, etc., etc. And the truth is, I don't. I don't hate the competitors. I do have my gripes about them. I do have reasons why I do or do not own their systems. I do have things I wish they would do better. But you know what? I could say the same thing about PlayStation, and I probably will tonight. But I wanted to kind of tell you a little bit about my experience, my adventures, and uh, tell you about like my background and explain to you why today I'm a PlayStation fan. Because it wasn't always that way. 
I was not always a PlayStation fan. I started off as a Nintendo fanboy. I mean, of course, yes, Atari, Commodore 64, we've already covered that. But in the in the mid-80s, uh, actually, I guess it was toward the late 80s, but anyway, uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the 8-bit NES, hit the American states. And it changed home console gaming by advancing it well far and beyond what the Atari could do. And it was easier to use than the Commodore. It was less expensive than the Intellivision or the Amiga. And it had, for its time, reasonable graphics. And of course, it had the most popular games. It had the Super Mario Brothers. Hey, fun fact, for those of you who may not know, before Super Mario Brothers, there was just Mario Brothers. And you jumped around trying to smash turtles. Uh, and there was also like a pow box that if you hit, it would like pow everything. But if your, if your brother, if your Mario brother was on the ground, when you hit that pow box, it would hit them too. It was a very cool game. And I made my older brother increasingly frustrated with it because I would always hit the pow box at the wrong time. But I digress. Nintendo had the Super Mario Brothers which was an incredible expansion upon the original game, meaning that they took that game, they took that concept, those characters, and they made it much bigger, and they gave us a much broader world. They also had Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Back when they could have Mike Tyson's Punch-Out before licensing conflicts came into play, they had, eventually, they had things like Gauntlet and Adam's Family and uh, Friday the 13th and a, a bunch of games out of Japan that were localized to America uh, that, that included different kinds of sports and uh, caveman games. I mean, did, every cool game that you could think of came out on, on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And for a long time, that was like the only choice. Sega comes along, they make the Master System, and they start competing with NES, but let's be honest, at that time, between Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, even track and field with the power pad. If you took all of the peripherals that went with the Nintendo Entertainment System, it made it a force that could not be stopped. And the Sega Master System tried to do their own thing with a light gun. They tried to do their own thing with like alternative controls. And it just didn't catch on with the same fire that the Nintendo Entertainment System did. Then in the early 90s, Super Nintendo happened. At that point in time, I was old enough to have my own paper route for those of you who don't know, that's where you have to ride around on a bicycle and throw papers. If you played the game Paperboy, you'd know. I had my own paper route, so I had my own money, and I saved up, and I bought my own Super Nintendo. This was after I used some Christmas money to buy my own Game Boy years before. So I had the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, which was a gift. I bought the Game Boy using gift money. I saved up my own money and bought the Super Nintendo. And the and at the time, I also had uh, purchased my own Sega Genesis and uh, eventually got the Sega CD add-on as well as the, as the 32X add-on. I had both of these systems riding in tandem. And this was kind of an interesting thing. You know, the Sega Genesis had this add-on late in its life cycle, mind you that took it from a 16-bit processing system to a 32-bit processing system. And really what this means is that that is the sort of like the bandwidth of instructions or calculations that it can run uh, given a processor cycle. It, it can do this many instructions 
per cycle is basically the idea, right? And the idea is that the more bits you can process, then the better graphics you can produce, the better sound you can produce, the, uh, the higher frame rates you can produce, or at least maintain longer, and so on. So you had the Nintendo Entertainment System, I'm sorry, the Super Nintendo, right next to the Sega Genesis, and the Sega Genesis had the Sega CD, and it had the 32X module. So it's basically three systems in one. The Super Nintendo is off to the side, and it's true that it did have an optical drive, but that was only released in Japan. It never made it officially to the States, although you can find some rare uh, Super Famicom optical drives if you look carefully. It, it had some cool peripherals, but it didn't have any like module add-ons for the system that made it to the States. And so I would have these systems side by side. And then popular games would come out, things like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter II. And I lived across the street from a video rental store. So I would go there and they knew me by name, of course. We were friends. Eventually I would work there and I would rent the games, come home literally across the street and plug in those games. And what I found was that like nine times out of 10, the Super Nintendo version of a game was, in my opinion, superior to the Sega Genesis version of the game. The graphic, the graphic quality was better. The audio quality was sometimes only slightly better, but still notably better. And there were very few exceptions to that rule. Uh, one exception was that Sega Genesis, you could actually put in the Abacab code. If you guys know what that is, if you don't look it up, Abacab, A-B-A-C-A-B-B. And uh, that was the Sega Genesis code for Mortal Kombat to turn on the blood and fatality features. If you did not do that, then players didn't bleed. They would sweat and fatalities were basically just really big punches. Anyway, so the Super Nintendo did not have that feature in its game. The graphics were better. The sound was better, but they didn't have the full features behind a key code whereas the Sega Genesis did. So there were some exceptions where the Sega Genesis game was preferable to the Super Nintendo, but they weren't many. And the Super Nintendo had phenomenal games. It introduced me to Wing Commander, for heaven's sake. It introduced me to, oh my gosh. Well, I, should, I shouldn't say it introduced me, but it expanded the Mario universe. Oh, it was the first console where Mario Kart dropped. Mario Kart hit Super Nintendo first. And there were... Of course, F-Zero. F-Zero was a groundbreaking racing game where you played in a hovering race vehicle and you uh, it, it was extremely fast because it was a 16-bit system in an 8-bit world, right? The games were phenomenal. After that, I went to N64. GoldenEye, do I need to say more? Yes, I do. Perfect Dark. Perfect Dark was phenomenal. It was amazing. It was a better game than GoldenEye, in my opinion. GoldenEye got me hooked on N64. Perfect Dark perfected that genre, that first-person co competitive, cooperative shooter-type game. It was fun. Everything about Perfect Dark was an improvement on GoldenEye. And there's a whole story. It was made by the same, comp by the same uh, studio. And there's a whole story as to why they didn't make another James Bond game, but that's another story for another time. So I had the N64, and it was excellent. Now, at this time, PlayStation 1 drops the PSX, the PS1. And at that time, you know, you've got like CD-ROMs with the really cool black bottom discs. And I never had a PS1. Even to this day, I have never owned a PS1, not once. Even when they came out with like the PSX compact model, which was a very cool model, I still never had a PS1. 
And at the time, I justified it as, you know, I made, I made you know, smart aleck quips. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I'm kind of a smart aleck sometimes. And I would get with my friends and they would have a PS1 and it, I was very interested in what they were playing. It was kind of cool. But their load times were abysmal. And I'm like, guys, why use CD-ROMs and get load times when I can play games that are just as good and just as beautiful on the N64 with a cartridge which has near instantaneous load times? Why would I do that? Plus the expense, plus the delicate nature of CD-ROMs getting scratched and not working anymore, blah, blah, blah. I thought I was doing a good thing. I thought I was making a wise choice. And looking back on it, I wish I had gotten a PS1, but... I was happy with my N64, and I was buying my own hardware. I was buying my own games. So I passed on the PS1. And then the GameCube dropped. And the GameCube, I reserved in advance, and I still have my GameCube, and I still play my GameCube on occasion. It is, in my opinion, one of the best game consoles that ever hit market. And I realize it didn't have necessarily the same popularity or success as the N64, but it was an exceptional console with phenomenal games. And it had Mario Party and it had Mario Kart and it had Zelda. Kind of like N64, which had Mario Party and it had Mario Kart and it, and it had Zelda. Kind of like the Super Nintendo, which had Mario Kart and it had Zelda. Kind of like the N Nintendo Entertainment System, which had all sorts of, it had a few different Mario games, like Dr. Mario and, and Super Mario Brothers and, and Super Mario Brothers 2 and Super Mario Brothers 3 and, and, and Zelda, like 1 and 2. And if you can't tell, there's a little bit of a pattern to what I'm saying here, and there's a reason for that. So I've got the GameCube, and I love the GameCube. And then I had to get my wisdom teeth out, and I thought, you know what? I've never had a PlayStation before, and PlayStation 2 is out, and it looks kind of hot. I kind of dig it. I think I, think I want to get a PS2. Plus, it was at the dawn of DVD and being in the home, and I was like, you know what? It can also be a DVD player, which was Sony's intentional selling point. They wanted to get DVDs into the home. And so I got on eBay, and I bought a, PS, a used PS2, a fatty model, an original Gen 1. I got a slew of games, PS1 and PS2 games. And fellow dungeon crawlers, I fell in love. I fell in love with the PlayStation platform. If you've ever had a PS2, it has a signature sound on startup. All the PlayStation systems have a unique sound at startup. And PS2 is probably one of the more nostalgic sounds for people who grew up with PlayStation. When I got my first PlayStation, my PlayStation 2, I was already in my 20s. So... I get this PlayStation 2 and I figure out how to like navigate this universe I've never been in before. I'm playing games that are IPs I've never seen before. Things like, like, um, well, uh, oh my gosh, my mind is like so full. I'm trying to like sort through it all. The, the Midnight Club racing games, GTA, which I played on PC briefly, but it was much better on PlayStation 2. Uh, Oni, which was... Uh, an early title in the PS2 lifetime life cycle. Uh, there was uh, on the PS1 side, I got I returned to Final Fantasy, a game series that I hadn't touched since Super Nintendo. I picked up Metal Gear Solid. Of course, how can you have PS1 games and not have Metal Gear Solid, right? There was <clears throat> Fear Fear Effect. That's what I've been trying to remember. Fear Effect one and two which were extremely cool and extremely risque games for their day, right? Uh, 
I played Parasite Eve. I played Resident Evil. I played a bunch of games I just didn't have a lot of access to before that. Now, I did play Resident Evil 2 on N64, and I definitely got the Resident Evil remake on GameCube, so don't get me wrong there. But there were other titles in the Resident Evil series I had never played, including the original Resident Evil one. There was just there was so much stuff I'd been missing out on, and I just didn't I just didn't appreciate it. I just didn't know because I had Star Fox. I just didn't know because I had Eternal Darkness, because I had Rogue uh, Rogue Squadron, and I had you know I I had all these games and I was having a good time, but I just didn't know what I was missing out on. So I loved my PS2 and I played it like insanely a ton. But then it didn't stop there because then the PS3 came on the scene with its Blu-ray drive, its revolutionary Blu-ray drive. And folks, there's a whole other story about how Blu-ray became the medium of physical discs today because there was a hot minute that it almost did not happen. In fact, everyone was saying Blu-ray was going to lose. That is a fun story to visit. Maybe we'll do that some other time. But here's the PS3 promising the Blu-ray drive being like this very cool thing, promising the quality of games, giving us demos like the Heavy Rain demo even before. Uh, well, it was it was a tech demo, mind you. But even before that game was anywhere close to launch, right? And I'm watching this happen. I'm watching, of course, Xbox is on the scene. And I'll be honest with you. I have never owned an Xbox. I've never owned any generation of Xbox. And it's not that I hate them. I'm just not compelled to. And 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 so I, I, I was watching what was going on with Xbox, going from the first generation of Xbox to Xbox 360. As they show up on the scene, they when they showed up with Xbox, the original, it absolutely outperformed in terms of technical specs, the PS2 and the GameCube. The Xbox was the superior machine. But it wasn't necessarily the superior contender, but it did do one thing for video game history that was immense, and that is that it brought Halo. And Halo is arguably what made esports a mainstream thing today. Esports existed prior to Halo, but it was sort of like an underground nerdy geek culture thing when geeks weren't cool. But Halo made everything cool, and then Halo 2 just blew the doors off the barn. Some of you are having some serious nostalgia flashbacks right now. I know. But Xbox is on the scene. My friend has an Xbox. I play it. I don't really care. PS3 is announced. Xbox 360 is announced. We'll talk about Xbox naming convention someday. And Nintendo is sitting in the back. They haven't quite announced what they're going to do next. There's something called um, Project Revolution that has not yet been exposed. Uh, and for those who are deep in the lore, the GameCube was called Project Dolphin before it was given the GameCube name. So Project Revolution, people know it exists, they just don't know what it is. But it's promising to like change the face of gaming forever. As they all do, right? They all, they all do that. But PS, Sony is coming out swinging hard and they are showing some impressive tech and tech demos, really amazing stuff. They're showing off Folding at Home, which is a protein folding protocol for distributed computing so that people can help with cancer research when they're not playing games. How cool is that? How progressive and proactive is that? 
Xbox 360 is showing off their technical aspects and their technical achievements, and it's impressive. In my opinion, the PlayStation 3 showed better, but the Xbox 360 was no slouch, and it had some really cool games, right? It had some really cool stuff that was coming out, and... Everyone is waiting with bated breath. Now, at this time, I'm like watching the, the tech specs. I'm listening to the, the keynote speeches. And I'm like, you know what? That PlayStation 3, it's looking pretty impressive. That Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire demo, all digital, looks pretty good. The rubber duck demo that they always do looks pretty impressive. What's it going to be? 360's looking good with its King Kong game, but PS3 is still kind of wetting my appetite. And then Nintendo shows up. And they are like, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you the Wii. Wii. And I remember that moment when I saw the Wii. Now, some of you who grew up with that, that was your childhood. It holds a very special place in your heart. And I don't discount that. And I give you high fives. And I celebrate your video game history. Keep in mind, at the time that this happened, I was a married man in my late 20s. So I'm watching PS3 with its technical bravado, with its with its incredible heft. And then I see 360, which has this sleekness to it, and it's coming in swinging hard too. It's like a neck-and-neck neck battle. And then here comes Nintendo, the trendsetter of our day for home consoles, the one. And they give us the Wii with little balloon-headed people and a waggle stick. And I turn to my wife, and I said, honey, the console wars are over. PS3 just won. Now, I know that the Wii sold like hotcakes. I know that the Wii was, it was incredibly successful for Nintendo in terms of making money. But I tell you now, wholeheartedly, heavily opinionatedly, the Wii did not push gaming forward the way I think Nintendo intended. And a lot of people are like, but what about the motion controls? It was it was revolutionary with the motion controls. Ah, 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 ah. Before Nintendo announced that they had a motion controller, PlayStation had already shown us motion controls in the six-axis controller. First, it was in that Batarang configuration that nobody liked. Then they came back with a more dual shockish shape. And they had removed the rumble. Not a lot of people were happy about that. Don't worry, they would add it back in later. But it had six-axis. And its telemetry was more accurate than was the Wii Mote. In fact, the Wii Mote, to get the kind of accuracy that they needed, first of all, they had to have like an IR, an infrared reader, which the PlayStation did not require. It was full accelerometer uh, controls. But then you also later on had to buy like the Wii Motion Plus to plug into the bottom of your Wii Mote so that you could get that extra axis of movement to get all the telemetry available. So when people try to say that, you know, well, the Wii brought motion control gaming to, you know, to, to the gaming industry and stuff. Well, I will say that they made it popular and accessible. I can't deny that. But they didn't bring it. It was already there. Sony had already announced that they'd already demonstrated it. Which means that Sony and Nintendo were working on theirs in tandem. They, they were working on their own at the same time, right? Um, but we did not... It did not make the game industry great the way that all previous generations of nintendo had they opted for the easy money they opted for the lower hanging fruit and they did well they captured the market they were aiming for i get that 
But you know what else they did? Almost nothing. They had Super Mario game after Super Mario game after Zelda game after Super Mario game. And then eventually sort of like Squo's Pokemon into there somehow, you know? They had some cart game. They had a bunch of Amiibo and Me model games like Wii Sports and Wii Sports 2. They did a lot of low commitment, very cheap, not quite revolutionary gaming. Now, you might look at the Wii and you might have some games that you really like. And I'm not trying to poo-poo that. I'm not trying to, like, shout you down. I'm not. What I'm saying is that for me at that time in my life, that kind of gaming did not appeal to me at all. It was definitely something that I, I, I played around with, but it was not the revolution I had hoped Nintendo would bring that they had always brought to the table. They went from the amazing epicness of GameCube to something that I thought was completely beneath them in terms of ambition. Now, we can have a much longer discussion about that some other time. But the point is, at the point of the PS3, that's when I became a Sony fanboy. That's when they won. And they fought hard. They made a ton of sacrifice for us, the gamers, to make Blu-ray and accepted media, to make PS3s accessible. And they didn't get everything right. They did not get everything right. They really didn't. When the PS3 first dropped, it was $600. I know this because I went and prepaid for it a piece at a time until it was paid off. Fun fact. Uh, Sony held a, con- held a contest for PS3. I made a short film for that contest, and I was one of the 10 winners selected. So I ended up getting a PS3 for free, along with going to a, a launch party. It was very weird and cool and strange. But... Uh, it meant that I could take all that pre-order money and I could just like buy games and controllers and stuff. It was pretty great. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the PS3 was super expensive. The most expensive home console since the Neo Geo. And if you know anything about the Neo Geo back in the 90s, it was a completely overpriced, like, uh, it was it was priced to never really be purchased except by the super, super rich. Uh, the games themselves were like a hundred bucks a piece. It was ridiculous. It was nonsense. But anyway, so it was the most expensive console since the Neo Geo. Uh, and and then the 360 hit first and it hit for like $300. And then the Wii dropped just after the 360 for $200. So when you have a $300 system and a $200 system in 2007, 2000, yeah, 2006, 2007, uh, it's a no-brainer. You're not going to spend twice as much for a system that's not twice as powerful as the 360. The 360 took the sales lead by a mile for a long time. It wasn't until later when the PS3 went through a few more iterations and it got more and more affordable and they got more and more games and they got more and more exclusive deals and they had way like uh, they, they had a lot more to offer in terms of exclusive games that were unique and diverse. And eventually that ended up winning their generation, but only at the very end, only at the very end. In fact, even today, if you look at the console sales, they weren't that far apart. It used to be the Xbox 360 had outsold the PS3 by like two to one. But today the numbers are, are, are they're only about 2 million units apart. 
you have the PS3 at about 87 million units and well, actually uh, only about one and a half million units apart. Cause it's like 87 and a half for PS3 and just shy of 86 for 360. So the PS3 did pull ahead, but only by a little and only at the end. But then something magical happened and that something magical was the PS4 and the PS4 utterly slayed it. And then the Xbox one happened. Again, we got to have a conversation about Xbox naming conventions. Whoever named you Xbox, whoever named you, needs to lose their job. But Xbox One hits the scene, PS4 hits the scene, the Wii U hits the scene, and Nintendo wished today that it had not happened. But the Wii U did pave the way for the next generation after that. Uh, The PS4 lands and does a killer job. In fact... If we don't count mobiles, if we don't count like Nintendo DS and Game Boy, right? If we don't count those, if we just look at home consoles, the number one selling game console of all time to date is still the PS2 at 157.68 million. And the PS4 comes in second at 115. Do you hear that spread? It is a 42 million spread. In fact, it's actually exactly 42 million. They both, uh, according to Statista.com, they both have 0.68 million as their trailer. So the PS2, most popular selling console of all time. PS4, second most popular console of all time, home console of all time. The Wii I'm sorry, the PlayStation 1 is the third most popular, and just behind that is the Wii. And then uh, a a fair chunky step behind that is the PS3, and so on. Okay? The Xbox One is not even in the top 10. The Xbox One is at 50 million. So the Xbox, I'm sorry, the PlayStation 4 is at 115 a little over 115 and a half million, 115, and the Xbox One is at 50. That is a landslide difference in console sales. And now we're in the generation of PS5 and Xbox Series X, and I could not be happier to be a PlayStation fan person, right? But Sony has not always gotten it right. Sony has made some mistakes along the way. Sony did some cool things and then took some of those cool things away. Like putting Linux on your system so that you can daisy chain them. There used to be supercomputers made out of PS3s that were daisy chained together. The Navy used them. Uh, VeriSign used it. Um, Or actually, I'm sorry, uh, uh, a counter security company used it to crack VeriSign. They used to be incredibly robust systems. But then Sony... Sony had to make some money on the deal. And at the time, they weren't. They were losing money on the deal. And so they started rolling back some of their features, some of the things that I thought made them better than the other competitors. They started taking those things away. Now, in the years since, in the years since, Sony has still supported studios to make great games, phenomenal games. I am a single-player campaign game kind of guy. I am not super-duper into the competitive gaming scene. I am more of a cooperative game uh, type person or a single-player narrative type person. I prefer those games. I feel they have more depth. But Xbox did something really clever, in my opinion. 
last generation Xbox One, they, they, I apologize to all my Xbox fans out there because I feel like you got ripped off. They did not produce games at the speed that they did. They did not produce as many new IPs. They did not have nearly as many exclusives. It really got dry. It, it kind of went into like a gaming drought. I, I really want you to look look into this if you really want to. I don't. If you're a big Xbox fan, please don't get too mad about this. I really want you to think about this objectively, and go look at like their top ten games. Go look at like the last hundred games that they've made, and then compare that to the PlayStation in terms of sales and ratings and all that stuff. I think you'll be surprised at what you find. But there was like this drought that occurred. And I realized as this new generation was coming up, what was really happening. You see, I think Microsoft, and actually I think the evidence shows, bears this out. Microsoft used the Xbox One generation to prototype R&D and expand upon their gaming platform. Not just Xbox but the entire Microsoft gaming ecosystem, they expanded upon it and they made it grander and they've done things Sony hasn't caught up to yet, like the Xbox Game Pass, which is a membership that grants you access to about 100 games of rotating titles that if you're a member for like 15 bucks a month, actually, you can do it for 10 bucks a month. If you're a member for like 10 bucks a month, you can play any of these games anytime as much as you want. If you go 15 bucks, you can even play them on, on mobile devices, on your PC and on your consoles. They have opened up the streaming gaming service in a way that PlayStation Now, PlayStation's gaming uh, streaming gaming service, hasn't been able to do. It's very interesting what they've done. They have folded into their Xbox Gaming Pass, Xbox Gold. So all the things that you were paying for for like the online social aspect, is now folded in to the Xbox Game Pass. They are doing things that are going to be highly threatening to PlayStation this generation. Last generation, PlayStation smoked them like a cheap cigarette. This generation, it's not going to be that easy. Especially with COVID slowing down the development of games, PlayStation has not had the flood of exclusives and new IPs that they normally would have enjoyed by this point in a new generation. So, ladies and gentlemen, as much of a PlayStation fan as I am, I think that PlayStation and Xbox are going to have a King of the Monsters style fight this generation. I think Xbox fans who have stayed loyal, you're going to get your rewards this year. This generation, excuse me. This generation. And what about Nintendo? What about Switch? Switch is an incredible piece of hardware with a crap ton of recycled games. However, while they have been living on their ports and on their sort of recycled IPs, we are starting to see some new titles emerge on the Switch. So Nintendo is starting to expand their gaming machismo uh, from where it kind of went flat with Wii and especially Wii U, they're starting to come back from that. So Nintendo is definitely a contender or mm, a rising contender, I should say. But the real, the real blood and fire and flame, that's between Sony and Microsoft right now with PlayStation and Xbox. It has been incredible to watch this evolution, to go from Maze Craze and Pac-Man and Donkey Kong on Atari all the way up to 
The Last of Us and God of War and Gears of War and the Halo titles and all of the incredible advancements in gaming. We are entering a magnificent era of game and simulation. Games are no longer just pastimes. They are life experiences with things like Life is Strange and That Dragon Cancer. There are so many meaningful titles out there. With the advent, well, with the re-emergence of VR, done better than it was in the 90s, with AR, with the things that we can do with simulation and sound and touch and velocity, the things that we can do now that we couldn't do before, oh my dungeon crawlers. What, what are we going to see in the next five to 10 years? I promise you it's going to melt your brain. And... Can you even imagine what a PlayStation 6 or an Xbox 720 would look like? I know I do all the time. All right. This was supposed to be a shorter episode. I've already gotten like 40 minutes into this. If you can't tell, I love talking about this stuff, but I'm not always right about everything. And maybe you disagree with some of my views. Please hit that Discord. Go to our website, DungeonCrawlers.com. Find the Discord link. Join us there. And let's have a conversation about it. I am happy to hear you out. I've never owned an Xbox because I've never found a game that I needed to play that was only on Xbox. But maybe you know of some that I should. So why don't you try to convince me? Why don't you tell me why I should own an Xbox? Why don't you tell me which generation of Xbox was your favorite? Why don't you tell me why Sony is so awesome in your own words? Why don't you tell me why you don't like Sony? Let's just take this down a whole bunch of different rabbit holes. You guys are the best. We love you. We have fun with you. And I hope that you remember in all of your life experiences, in all of the simulations, whether you're in the matrix, on the grid, or just on your friendly online network service, please remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.